You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So unless you've been living under a rock over the last two or three months, there has been a huge media frenzy over certain companies delving into societal issues, i.e. Bud Light, Target, and a few others that has created a huge backlash, cost these companies millions or billions of dollars in market share, and has enraged their main customer base. And so what I wanted to do is I've, I've found this very fascinating over the last few months. I'm not a Bud Light drinker and I rarely go to Target, so I don't really care per se. But I found it interesting on how these companies have been essentially destroying their brands. And I wanted to have a conversation with somebody who knows branding and is involved with public relations on behalf of companies. So I reached out to Nick Com, who has been a Frequent guest, not frequent, but he's been on the podcast a few times, and he is CEO of Reputation Partners, which is a national leader in corporate and business communications and public relations. And I wanted to get his take as to why companies are jumping off into the deep end without seeing how shallow it may be. In any case, here is Nick Calm with Reputation Partners. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Nick Calm, welcome back to Labor Relations Radio. And I've just got to say, before we get started, your phone has got to be ringing off the hook right now. Well, thank you, Peter. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And I love talking about these topics. And certainly, companies and CEOs are appropriately very nervous these days in a way I haven't seen in a long time. Well, you know, we've kind of touched on this on the prior episodes where you've been on, where companies should kind of stay in their lane. But we're seeing... Um, and I'm, I wanted to ask you when you think it started, but we're seeing a huge amount of employers targeted by, I don't want to call them special interest groups, but, you know, from the right or the left. And I don't know if it started when companies started going into virtue, virtue signaling, um, but there seems to be a big backlash right now. And this time from the right, not the left, but we've seen oh. it for years. Yeah, I mean, there is. Look, people have talked about boycotts going back, I mean, as long as I can remember. But the reality is that until very recently, and frankly, until something as specific as the Bud Light, Dylan Mulvaney uh, situation, none of them had really worked. Um, there have been, you know, this noise and, and activity and sort of a kabuki theater of, uh, you know, kind of uh, noise, if you will, that was going on. But they never really amounted to a hill of beans, so to speak. But now right. they have, and I don't know, I still don't know whether that is an aberration, an exception that proves the rule, or the way things are today. The thing that's so incredibly surprising to me, though, still, and I've written about this, I've spoken about this, is how companies and CEOs are so willing to potentially squander everything from reputation to ability to recruit, ability to retain, customer goodwill, 
market share, etc. I mean, they've, they've waded into these issues in a way that I've never seen before. And it's, it is now you're seeing an impact, right? You're seeing an impact in terms of business valuation, in terms of uh, sales, market share, that kind of thing. Again, it may be limited at this point to some degree to the, uh, you know, the anheuser Bushes and the uh, Disney's and the targets of the world, but I'm not sure that it is. And I'm seeing more caution and more, I don't know what to do um, from companies than I've seen in a long time, maybe ever. Well, you know, you and I go back long enough to where we remember the boycott against Walmart, and that was UFCW-driven, coupled with small-town groups, you know, that would band together and try to boycott Walmart, but it never worked. Walmart continued to grow and grow and grow, and then... I remember, and this was kind of a weird circumstance, I had never heard of Chick-fil-A until about 2010, maybe 12. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I was taking my Harley down from the Northeast down to Florida, stopping in North Carolina, right near Fort Bragg. The day or... Yeah, I think it was the day that whole boycott erupted over something to do with either LGBTQ or trans or something. But I never heard of it, so I like texted some friends, and I was like, what's this whole thing about Chick-fil-A? And somebody told me, and I happened to go buy a Chick-fil-A in that town in North Carolina. I think it was Fayetteville. And there was lines around the block. Oh, yeah. And I was like, wow. Again, never having heard of Chick-fil-A. Right. But, or none, and I don't like chicken anyway, but, um, so I've never, you know, I had never tasted it at that point, but that was like, again, left boycott, right. In that case, wasn't a boycott. It was a boycott. They called it. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. But I think what's different now, again, and it's, you know, society, our country has been divided for years now. I mean, you go, I think you take it back essentially to the Bush Gore days when that election was so close and the bill clinton impeachment and so forth but it's just it's only gotten more extreme since then and i just honestly i've been doing this a long time i do not understand companies that go you know what we are going to do something that is going to please really please and delight 40 percent of the american people and another 40 percent of the american people are going to be really pissed off this sounds like a great idea I, I just, I don't get that logic, and maybe it's because I've been doing this a long time, and I'm old or out of touch or whatever, but if you're in a business that's trying to sell products to as many people as possible and have them like you, why would you do something to curry favor with one to then antagonize a whole other group? That's the thing, and I get it. Look, I understand you got demographic trends, younger employees, employees want company uh, CEOs to be progressive on a lot of these issues. A lot of company CEOs themselves are young and are be more progressive, but there's no governor on them. And I don't mean governor like elected official. I mean, governor like a speed control governor to go, wait a minute, is this really the right thing to do? I mean, I, I commented about this the other day. I mean, look, you've seen Bud Light's market share is the number one beer in the country. And they basically have lost half of their market share. I mean, Going back, as long as I've been doing this, the 80s, 90s, 2000s, whatever, if the leading brand in any category lost half their market share in a matter of weeks, 
Everybody at the right. company from a senior management level would be fired. The, the boardroom would be absolutely, you know, beside themselves with what's happening because it takes so much money and so much time to build up that kind of market share and then to lose it essentially overnight and not be a fluke. And now, you know, the solution to it, to your point, and you alluded to this earlier, is ending up pleasing nobody. The conservatives that were annoyed because they featured this transgender activist on this one beer can. Yes, we know it was one beer can and not right. a campaign, but they're... They're pissed off that that happened in the first place, and then the LGBTQ community is pissed off because they're not doing enough to then stand by their decision. So it's like, why did you wade into it in the first place? Why did somebody not go, wait a minute, is this a good idea? How is our core customer going to be reacting to it? And then the other thing that I talked about just the other day was I saw something that was a, a survey that was comparing the popularity of Disney and favorability of the Walt Disney Company to Ron DeSantis. I mean, I, I get that they're locked in this battle, legal battle and PR battle that's going on, but you talk about apples and oranges. So you've got a sharp-elbowed, controversial politician on the one hand, and then you've got this beloved family-oriented company on the other. You can't compare the two. But one of the things that jumped out at me was the favorability of the Walt Disney Company was holding steady at 63%. 63% favorability for the Walt Disney Company? Yeah. I mean, that's like having 63% favorability for Mr. Rogers or Sesame Street. I mean, it's like unheard of. Again, if this is the kind of thing that a company is experiencing, a company like that, that I'll bet 20 years ago their favorability was probably 90%. I don't know. I haven't seen the statistics. I was trying to find them. But I've got to believe it was at least upper 80s. And to be barely at a level that's maybe of a middle-of-the-road politician, not DeSantis, but just a less controversial politician, I mean, that's got to be a disaster for them. Yes, they keep making money hand over fist with theme parks and everything else. But to have not even two out of three Americans think favorably of the Walt Disney Company, I mean, it's just I, I can't imagine it. Well, and then it, it begs the question of, first of all, of the 60-some-odd percent that would be viewing it favorably, how many of them are actually going to go? Because you might as well consider that the 37% you know, aren't going at all. So how much are you hurting your shareholders? Yeah. I just, I, what boggles my mind is that nobody is going, wait a minute, what are we doing? Why, how, why does this make sense for us to do? Now, again, look, I, there's lots of discussion. I've had discussion, including with my own employees about whether the company should have then spoken up as they did about the so-called don't say gay law that was what led to the whole kerfuffle in the first place. But it's not just that. I mean, there've been other decisions that the company has made. And again, I appreciate that society is moving in a more progressive direction and is over time, not surprisingly. But how quickly do you allow yourself as a company, as a beloved, iconic brand, allow yourself to be swept up in those things and not think through the implications of it? If we weren't a divided country, if 80% of the public felt as favorably towards celebrating the tan transgender part of the LGBT community as they do about gay marriage? Because that's, that, I mean, that's changed. I think what you're seeing now is there is this lack of self-restraint and a lack of a governor on what do we stand for, what do we support. It's one thing to support, you know, gay couples and so forth from a marketing standpoint, 
I think it's completely another to basically be celebrating folks that are in the part of the transgender community or drag shows that are targeting little kids and so forth. There's some parts of it that just, if you take it to an extreme and then people, reasonable people, apolitical people go, wait, wait a minute, what? And then, you know, you see these folks reading these books in, that are in school libraries that are targeted or in school libraries, for right. children, reading them aloud at city council meetings. And they, the networks have to censor it because they would be censored by the FCC for broadcasting those words. So it, it's how far do you take it? Where, how far ahead of where societal norms tell you everything is okay do you go as a company? Are you on the leading edge or the bleeding edge of those issues? And a lot of companies that are finding themselves in real trouble, like the ones we've been talking about, have been out too far ahead of the rest of the population. Well, I'll, I'll use the expression that I think is appropriate here is the entertainment expression, read the room. Right. And, you know, I, I go back, and if you do this after we get off, ask your office staff, because most of the folks there are, are younger than you and I, I think. Yep. But how many remember the name Katie Lang? Right. And, yes. you know, here's a beautiful country singer, lesbian, gets accepted by the the redneck community for her songs, right, and her music, yep. mm-hmm. and sometime decides that it's a good idea to blast the red meat industry. Right. The beef industry. Right. Where has she gone? You know, so you're basically accepted by the, the country music community, but you're now going out and saying red meat's bad. And read the room. Exactly. <laughs> like, know your audience. Yeah. I just Dixie I think, Chicks. Yeah. Look, I, I think there's, there's so much more of a subtle way that companies who want to be seen by their employees, maybe by some of their customers or many of their customers as being progressive and inclusive can do it in a way that doesn't get them in trouble. I mean, hundreds of companies are doing it every day. The ones that we're seeing have gone out there. They didn't read the room. They went too far. They didn't think, how is this going to go over with our, is everybody, does everybody think the way I do? That's the thing. You know, you run into people out there in the, in the world and the, the simplest clue that somebody doesn't know what's going on is they just assume you think the way they do. We don't. We are such a divided country on so many different issues. Why would you assume that running into some random stranger or acquaintance out there that they would think whatever it might be or whatever topic it is, you just have to assume that who knows what they think? Donald Trump, Joe Biden, gay marriage, transgender, you know, drag shows for kids, whatever it might be. It's like chances are they don't think the way you do. So how do you show you want to create a tolerant, inclusive company where everybody feels welcome. I think that's a completely different thing, right? But everybody means everybody. Everybody that right. meets the transgender employee who just went through a transition to the old white guy, okay? Everybody. Everybody means everybody, right? You don't make anybody feel like they're unwelcome. That kind of thing, if you do that, I think, of course, you'll still get some fringe folks that will go after companies like they did. You mentioned Chick-fil-A earlier. The CEO of Chick-fil-A said, yeah, we have a you know diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. Like, And suddenly they got attacked for that. But, like, you know, again, I mean, the idea that a company wouldn't have somebody who does that is silly to them, right? But, and that's why that kind of didn't go anywhere. Yeah, and I, I think to some degree, and I've heard um, Spotify as well as Netflix used recently 
in light of all this stuff, because Netflix, for example, was being pressured not to air the Dave Chappelle closer episode, uh, right. show. Right. Yeah. And they just said, no, we're going to do it. We're going to celebrate diversity of views. Yeah. And nothing really came of that. Right. Of she had some people probably boycott, but it wasn't enough to affect their bottom line. Spotify, the same thing has happened with, I think Joe Rogan, like um, who was it? Neil Young and, and oh, yeah. a couple others were like, yeah, we're not, you know, we're, music off of, yeah, yeah. Right. But then they went back quietly. Right. So it's one of those things where, you know, I guess if I use this term to begin with, is it due to the fact that over the last decade or so that companies started virtue signaling, signaling to appease a vocal minority and so we're going to stick our necks on the chopping block for this vocal minority. Absolutely. And- Absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, that is a big part of it. Another big part of it. And there's, I've seen statistics on this as well. I mean, similar to, as you've seen, I'm sure, Peter, there's statistics about the percentage of journalists that are more liberal leading, the percentage sure. of university professors that are more liberal leading. But you know what? A lot of these things are generated from people like me, public relations people, within companies and advisors to companies, and public relations people skew very liberal too. And so, again, when you have somebody who's going, oh, yeah, and again, my old company, the big PR firm that I worked for before I started my own, they're president of U.S. operations. She's on the record, I think, in Fortune in the last week or two, interviewed about what should companies do. You need to lean into this. You need to double down. I'm like, really? Okay. I mean, yeah. you're saying that the companies that have lost half their market share of their flagship product or have 63% favorability. I mean, yeah, there's going to be more work for you to do in terms of trying to rehabilitate their reputation and try to get sales back on track. But is that really the best advice for them? And I get it. Look, pivoting and going all the way in one direction and coming all the way back in the other. And you've seen, like we talked about, Anheuser-Busch and other companies, they're kind of like a squirrel in the middle of a superhighway. They don't know where to go, and they worry if they go in any direction, they're going to get squashed. But so once you, that's the problem with venturing out onto that superhighway, if you're the squirrel, and you're sitting there trying to figure out what do we do, what do we say? Again, if you stick to your knitting, if you stick to trying to be an inclusive company internally, Again, that doesn't mean you don't, let's not show a gay couple kissing in a commercial. Fine, you can do that. You're going to get some people who are going to be pissed off, but that's more in the mainstream. That's more reading the room and so forth. When you go out there to an extreme degree, I don't know if you saw some of the uh, North Face ads that they were running uh, recently where they were. Yeah, on the web. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, I mean, that really, if, if I don't know what percent of their customer base is in a more conservative state of mind and would view that as basically being, you know, a big F you to them, you know, maybe that's fine. And and you sure it entertains some people, but it's like, wow, that's that kind of provocative. That's way even beyond what uh, Bud Light did with the Dylan Mulvaney. Were the North face ads aired on television or were they just internet? I think it was. Yeah. Okay. I don't watch TV news and TV channels per se. But yeah. that's why I'm curious. So as a brand expert, so I've dipped my toe into this super highway, getting backlash. What do companies do now? I, I think it's you've got to do a top to bottom review of everything that you have got planned. Again, whether it's who are the influencers you're partnering with? What do your web ads look like? What do your broadcast ads look like? Who are your spokespeople? What are your uh, taglines? 
look at all of those things and again, how can we break through? How can we achieve our marketing objectives without turning ourselves into an inordinate target? Because nowadays, those those kind of boycotts and that kind of attention has real impact. You have to think about those things. And again, there has to be a real difference between what you do internally and trying to recruit employees and create a you know diverse, inclusive workforce. That's one thing. But when you go outside of that and you go outside to the world at large, the marketplace at large, the stakes really change. They become much more. There's a lot of stuff. Look, Peter, you know this. I know you work with a lot of different companies as well. There's a lot of stuff that's going on inside companies in terms of training, in terms of performance management, in terms of who gets promoted and so forth, that if the outside world really knew about around DEI and everything else and, you know, white guilt and all of that stuff, people would go, wait a minute, what, what are you doing? There's been some controversy in it. Right. Coca-Cola and other companies, but it only occasionally rises to a certain level. You do it internally and with your prospective employees, that's one thing. You do it out to the market, to the world at large, your customers, the marketplace, influencers, and so forth, then everybody's paying attention to it, right? I mean, it takes much more effort really to either a whistleblower or an enterprising reporter or blogger to look inside what companies are doing inside within their immediate closed ecosystem of their employees and prospective employees. But if you're going outside, if you're that, like you said, as a brand person, you have to be thinking about, you know, how is this going to go over? Do we, do we, and they, and look, some of them, there's some brands out there, they want to be edgy. They want to, there was the, I forget the name of the company now, but there was some fashion company that had some photo spread that was basically walking right up to the line of child pornography. And they were like, oh, no, 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 we didn't mean to do that. That was, a, I mean, that was, I mean, I think several of us looked at that and goes, you know, that was a design uh, ploy by their part to be edgy and out there. Right. But unless, unless that's what you're trying to do, unless that's your brand ethos, if you're any kind of a mainstream brand, you've got to stop and think. No matter what your PR people inside or outside are telling you, no matter what your CEO thinks is a good idea based on his or her own personal values, you got to put the brakes on things and think what really makes sense for us. Do we want a firestorm? Do we Are we prepared for that? Are we prepared to lose half our market share of our flagship product? Are we prepared to lose tens of millions or more in shareholder value or in favorability? And if you are, great. I mean, I don't really fault the companies that are doing this in a way that shows that they thought about doing it and they're prepared to suffer the consequences for whatever reason they might have. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with it. But it seems like a lot of them are that squirrel that ventured out into the middle of the superhighway, and they don't know what to do. And they don't know how they got there in the first place, and they don't know how the hell to get out of it without getting squatted. Well, and I think what they're doing, um, and this, by the way, is beyond, like, the current boycotts and, and, you know, controversies, is they are pandering to the few to look good at the expense of the many of their customers. And they're expecting the many to stick with them when they're pandering to the few. And we've seen this over the last 15 years or whatever. Um, But it's, and it may be just coming out of the pandemic that we're seeing it more. I mean, we saw, you know, with the George Floyd protests, the BLM companies donating millions upon millions of dollars to them. And then, you know, now you've got on the flip side to that, the targets and the, the, uh, 
trying to think of the other one it wasn't Patagonia's North Face that you just yeah. mentioned, yeah. you know, yeah. and now they're they're pandering to the other side, right? And it's just pissing everybody off. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the fascinating thing with the whole Bud Light controversy is Bud Light's owned by InBev. Right. Anheuser Busch is it, you know, owned by InBev. Yeah, their stocks are not that. I mean, they've had a decline, but it's not that bad overall. And now the number one beer is Modelo. Which they also own. Which they also own. Right. So they just gave up a brand why, for another brand. Just put your finger on why the stock price hasn't really dropped. But it is it is a little bit inexplicable to me that the boardrooms are not going, wait a minute. I mean, look, they did, Anheuser-Busch did put the two marketing people who were responsible for that campaign on paid administrative leave. Basically, you're done. Yeah. So there's, there was obviously some recognition that what happened there was not well thought out or helpful to the brand. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if they're coming back or not. Yeah. It appeared like this was, we're putting you on ice and, you know, we'll revisit your contract at some point down the future. And, you know, this now might be not a bad time to update your resume. Right. Yeah. Here's some AI to go (laughs) update your resume. Yeah. I guess, and I don't know if there's a way to put this out there more for CEOs or, or, communications people but it's like stay in your lane as we keep saying you know yeah. if you're if you're building a jacket that's a waterproof jacket you don't need to you know put it on somebody that does not reflect your customer base right no, or just i mean again you can show all different kinds of people right everybody can wear our jackets we want everybody we are inclusive no i mean yes of course you're going to have some really fringe people at the extremes being really upset about that, but most people don't get upset. It's one thing if you're doing something that looks like you're basically sticking your thumb in the eye of a huge swath of your customer base. That's a different story. It really is. It's back to what you said earlier, reading the room, right? Look, we may get to a point, who knows, Peter, 20 years from now, where the transgender folks or folks who are you know, reading uh, drag show programs for little kids are widely accepted. And look at that back in the 2020s when we thought that was shocking. And I mean, who knows if that's where it goes, but that's going to take time. And now being so far ahead of the curve, if you will, if you even think that's the curve we're on or should be on, we're too far ahead of it. It's like, I mean, it's maybe not a good example, but it would be like showing, you know, interracial couples, 70 years ago in marketing, you wouldn't have done it, right? People would have been like, wait a minute, what are you doing? We're not there yet. And maybe, again, whether you think we should go that way or we shouldn't, it's reading the room, it's understanding. And again, I know marketing folks, especially today, feel like, well, we need to bring society along. We need, we have an important role to play in all that. Look, you may or may not have an important role to play at that, but the most important thing at the beginning, if you're an investor in a company, it's about, are you making me money? Okay, are you giving, are you delivering me as a shareholder returns? Is my $100 that I put or $1,000 or $10,000 or $1 million or $10 million that I put into buying your company's stock, is that going to consistently go up? And are you going to be doing everything you can to mitigate the risks? There are so many risks that come to companies that have nothing to do with what they're doing, just monetary policy, environment, uh, weather, uh, global trade, uh, uh, war and peace, all of these different things that can impact companies. So it's hard enough to manage those, but then then go, you know what? 
let's not worry about those as much. Let's go attack this one and make this a new controversy that we otherwise would have been happy to stay out of. Like, we, why would you do that? Why do yeah. it? Let me ask you a question. And I'm kind of thinking of this esoterically. If I'm kind of going back to negotiations as a tactic, um, if you're negotiating with a union or if you're negotiating with an employer, and then we can take this to the political extension of this, what oftentimes will happen is one party will put this pie-in-the-sky, unrealistic demands on the table in the knowledge that at some point a compromise like I'll throw in a whole bunch of different things that I don't really care about, throwaway issues. Sure, of course. And just getting you to compromise on some of those or the meat and potatoes things that I want, I'm ahead anyway. Right. So if, for example, we put an we put an extreme out there. Right. And yeah, it's going to get rejected. We know that, but at some point, kind of going back to what you're saying, we're pushing that pendulum at least to where we want it to be. Right. It's it's different, though, right? It's different. No one company has the kind of impact on society that that would suggest that that's a smart thing to do. It's totally different than if you're talking about a labor negotiation or a business acquisition or whatnot. You know, the whole, you know, what is the art of the deal, if you will? You put Mm -hmm. things out there knowing that you would end up with something less than that. In this case, you put something out that's so beyond what you seem to stand for or what society is prepared to accept, it doesn't. that doesn't then let you end up somewhere in the middle because, frankly, when you try to back off of that, as Anheuser-Busch did with Bud Light and this controversy, you end up, you're, you pissed off the first group that was annoyed by the, by the uh, commemorative can in the first place, and then you pissed off all of the LGBTQ community because you didn't stand by your original decision. Right, so it's not like you end up in a good place and then everybody's sort of, I'm okay with this. The first group's pissed off, and now you've pissed off the second group, so everybody's pissed off at you. The piece that we haven't talked about so far is look at all of the other businesses that have been impacted directly by what uh, Bud Light did. They're having now the people who go and deliver beer to various retailers. They're getting yeah, the distributorships getting attacked, the distributors and so forth. So they're having to write all kinds of checks and do all kinds of support all of these folks who have been directly negatively impacted by that one marketing decisions that they've made. Well, so and, the, and the drivers who are getting attacked or losing money because they can't deliver the beer because they're paid on incentive. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, was it worth it? What, so who, what have you achieved now as a company from this? You've lost market share. You've pissed off the right. You've pissed off the left. You've hurt the folks who are in your supply chain and who rely on you and whom you rely on to be a successful company. I'm like, wow, all this for doing one can for one influencer. It's amazing. Right. And again, is this the beginning of a new trend or was this an aberration? My advice to companies that if they're asking me, I'm telling them to your point, stay in your lane, do what you need to do internally to show you're an inclusive company and a progressive company, but think twice and then think three times and then four times about whatever you're thinking about doing externally and what it's going to do to various stakeholders and how they're going to react. Well, that kind of goes to, you know, who is, who is running the company, you know, is the, are the adults in the room running it or are the kids running it? And so the kids want to be activists. They want to put their 
social mores out there for everybody to see and wave them around with their little banners. And I don't really care which side you're coming from, but they're not thinking bigger picture. But then to, to an extent where we've got a lot of kids today who don't see the value of companies as, you know, suppliers of jobs, suppliers of wages, you know, all of that stuff that used to be common sense. Um, they're, they're willing to, I guess, burn down the house. Oh yeah. Look, to get I their mean, messages. Socialism is at its highest. This is people sit there and go, why is there so much support for uh, unionization? It's like, because look at the support for socialism. It's higher right. than it's been. Look at how low the support is for capitalism. Right. And again, look, some of this business is done to itself. There's no question about that. You can blame a whole bunch of you know bad companies laying off while enriching CEOs. There's truth to all of that. You know, you don't have to be Bernie Sanders to see that there's validity to some of that. But and then just the fact that education is not promoting and business has not done a good job of promoting the benefits of capitalism, let alone any of the elected officials have, and the whole split that's going on now between big business and Republicans, right? That's another fascinating thing. So used to be that Republicans would be carrying the water of big corporations, and now basically they're not, and you're seeing quite the opposite happening. So it's just yeah. it's, there is some very strange kind of soul-searching, or not soul-searching, but confusion that's happening in corporate America today. And because it's happening and they are, the, the squeaky wheel internally, as you talked about earlier, are the are the are the activists, and again, if the companies are being advised from a PR standpoint by people who are supportive of those same kind of principles, and then some of these CEOs, their personal principles are, yeah, I kind of agree with that. That's what takes them down these paths, and they're not stopping and thinking about the implications of their decisions. You know, it's funny. I was having a conversation yesterday with somebody up in New York, and the um, I said it's. It's fascinating to watch because 10, 15 years ago, when I'd point out the nexus between unions and socialists, I used to be accused of red baiting, <laughs> but they're now out in the open. And I, yeah. I cited, you know, Starbucks Workers Union, it's partnering with the Democratic Socialists of America. You have the Communist Party literally helping the Amazon workers unionize Staten Island. And it's, you know, it's right there in the open. All you got to do is look. It's Absolutely. always been there. Yeah. Uh, it has, and now it's. But now, to your to your point, it used to be covert. Now it's overt. Right, and it's you know for those of us who are watching it long enough, it's you know it was apparent. It was apparent back in the '90s with John Sweeney taking over. But again, you know, people would accuse me of being re- reactionary, right wingist, and you know all this stuff. And it's just like, no, you just got to watch. And now that it's there, I'm just like bored and like, uh, <laughs> told you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I told you so. It's your told you. I told you so moment. Yeah. So. So again, I guess I'm I'm curious as to whether or I guess where it goes, and then um, whether it dissipates or, as you mentioned earlier, the person from the the uh, marketing firm leaning into it. You know, her advice was to lean into it. Where are we going? Yeah, I think you're going to see more. Uh, Bud Light kind of situations, for sure. I think there's going to be more at Disney situations where companies lean into and take on issues that get them in trouble. And I think you're going to see more. But I think what's going to start to happen is you're going to see more companies that, and we've seen this already as well, where it's been reported the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere, more companies expressing caution, 
being careful. I mean, there were, first of all, there were a lot fewer companies than we thought might happen, might get involved when the Dobbs decision came down from the Supreme Court on abortion. Mm. That's obviously a big issue. A lot of companies said, oh, we're not touching that. So there's more. On the one hand, you've got some companies that are making these kind of bold mistakes, if you will, and maybe or maybe not learning from them. But there's many others that are finally, I think, being cautious now and realizing, wait a minute, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. But you're going to see more of them making mistakes, I think, and suffering the consequences. And look, you know, at some level, you know, the CEOs of these companies, they're extremely well paid. They work for three, four, five years. If they get fired, they then basically go into private equity with their millions of dollars. You know, there's there's right. a certain limited uh, amount of consequences to the decision makers in making these decisions. But you, you're seeing that there's, as we just talked about, there's a lot of other people who are not multimillionaires and, you know, in moving from corporate suites into, into private equity who are directly hurt by this, the truck drivers, the suppliers and all. That's the concern, frankly, that I have is that when these decisions are made and the consequences are felt, it's really felt by people from every walk of life and every socioeconomic level as well. Yeah. And it's interesting because we're, and I'm kind of just using these as examples, but what we're seeing is a, a bifurcation, if you will, of customers where, you know, in the old days, everybody wore Levi's. And so now if you lean progressive, you're going for Levi Strauss. If you're not progressive, you're going for Wrangler. Yeah. And it's just, it's fascinating to watch. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it is. And so there is, there are certain, you talked about Chick-fil-A as well. I mean, there are certain brands that sort of skew one way politically or another way politically. And again, that's if that's something you want to do and you feel like that's, you know, uh, makes sense as a business strategy, then do it. But do it in a thoughtful way and realizing if you're going to do it, can we afford to lose whatever customers we might lose by staking a position? Again, it's that's their prerogative to do that. What just surprises me is when they do it and then they're shocked that there are negative consequences. Separate topic, and I wanted to get your take on this, um, this whole remote work versus returning to the office. Because, again, progressive companies, Google, Facebook, some of the others are now ordering their employees to return to the office, and they're getting a, a big backlash from it. Yeah, Amazon corporate out in Seattle, they had a big protest a couple of weeks ago. And I'm, I'm kind of... Like, I love doing remote work. I don't have an office. I used to, and I shut it down because I like working, you know, at home. But it occurred to me as as we're facing all these issues that remote work actually hurts other workers. Like, all the downtown workers that, you know, from office cleaners to maintenance guys, and it's starting to collapse that downtown area, San Francisco being the most obvious, but Chicago. Absolutely. No, I mean, look, my office, I'm talking to you from basically the heart of Chicago. My office is at the corner of LaSalle Street and Madison Street. It is literally the epicenter of Chicago. Before the pandemic and before everything shut down, there would be, I'd say, at least 30 or 40 restaurants that I could go to for either a quick sandwich or a sit-down meal within three blocks of where I'm sitting. Now, maybe a third of that. What happened to all those people? What happened to all those workers? Now, maybe some of them went out to the suburbs, but I think a lot of them ended up basically out of work and having to be on unemployment and so forth. The business owners who owned all of those 
restaurants, those are closed. Now, again, a lot of it's coming back, which is good. But when you, but you still, I mean, there's, I don't know a single person, not one person who is in the office five days a week, certainly not at my company. I'm not even in five days a week. I come in four days a week, but I don't know a single person and looking at the commuting patterns and so forth. Chicago is one of the higher ones and it's now up to about 57% of what it was before the pandemic, 57%. So you basically don't even have 60% of what it used to be in terms of foot traffic coming downtown. And absolutely lots of businesses have been hurt. And then the, the whole cultural piece. I mean, you and I are talking to each other over a computer screen, but it does right. not replace face-to-face. People need to be around other people. We do. I mean, they, you can't get into the kind of like bonding and relationship building and spontaneity that comes from collaboration in the office. So I think this whole hybrid thing, first of all, I don't know anybody who's, I shouldn't say I don't know There's still, I know people who are fully remote, but it's it seems as if the whole of the country, the professional class, has settled into this hybrid environment to at least some degree. I mean, some people are fully remote, but a lot of people, most of the people I know are two to three days a week in the office, two to three days a week working from home. So what alerted to me to this topic was during the pandemic with the shutdowns, um, and there's a labor relations VP for a fairly large company with both union and non-union personnel. And he said, if this continues or if after the lockdowns are done, we don't get people back into the offices in downtown. He goes, just for our examples, because we have union contracts with HVAC and plumbers and pipe fitters, et cetera, downtown, they won't have work, which are higher income. And then you just start that domino effect. If you've got a bunch of office buildings, and we're starting to see this in the papers now with the, the glut of offices out there, But if you don't have people in office buildings, there's no reason to have an office. Right. And, you know, if you're only, you know, to use your example, if you've got, you know, people in the office four days a week, but not five, that's 20% of the office capacity that you really don't need. Right. That's simplistically looking at it. But, you know, so then you start, you know, it's 20% of the lunches that aren't served. Right. coffee, you know, coffee that's not being served at Starbucks, yep. all that stuff has a domino effect. And then it's the lower workers that get hurt the most, the yep. lower income workers. Yeah, without a doubt. And definitely we're seeing it for sure. There's no question. But I, I kind of, I say this kind of tongue in cheek, but it's those progressives that don't want to come to the office, not realizing that they're hurting their comrades. It's, or just uh, assuming that, you know, government will create some other bailout program and will just, you know, shower people with money um, from the U.S. Treasury to make up the difference. Right. And then we wonder why inflation is high. <laughs> right. Exactly. In any case. So I, I ask again, the advice is for companies venturing. Stay in your lane or if you're going to get out of your lane, really think through the consequences of doing so. And when you stay in your lane, part of staying in your lane, again, create that internal, diverse, inclusive workplace that you want to be known for. That's great. That's fine. Do that. But if you're talking about other issues in terms of, well, we need to be taking a stance on voting rights or BLM or abortion or LGBTQ, I mean, 
again, if you're talking about taking stances outside of your company and the people that you're employing and want to employ, you've got to think things through in terms of how it's going to go over. And again, if you do that cost-benefit analysis, if you do that risk-reward analysis, whatever it is, and you're like, yeah, you know what, it's worth it, then do it. But do that thought process. Don't just listen to the squeaky wheel. Don't just listen to your own personal you know, biases and politics to drive you into those decisions. Let me, let me ask you, um, and this is somewhat related, not necessarily a outside societal issue, but there was a, there was an instance, I want to say two or three years ago where a bunch of Google workers walked out, they protested over Google's customer, which happened to be the CIA. Mm -hmm. Do you remember this? Oh yeah. Yep. And I guess my question to that is, you know, by what right does an employee have the right to dictate to their employer who their customers are? Well, and I, I mean, well, but that's, that's, it, it is, you, you said it was different, but it's all related to the same issue. If you, if you basically say, we're going to listen to the squeakiest wheels within our organization, you're empowering even more of them. Do you want your employees to decide who you can service as a customer, who you can take on? I mean, that's, one of the reasons, you know, everybody goes, well, why is the CEO paid 150 times what the average worker is? Because the CEO is supposed to be making those decisions. The average worker is not supposed to be making those decisions. And if that, you know, that means I'm out of touch and, and, and a fuddy-duddy or an old fogey or whatever, so be it. But it's okay, like, boomer. Yeah, okay, <laughs> boomer, exactly. No, but it's like, that's it. So the CEO is supposed to be deciding those things. And again, what are the company's values? Who do you service? And then where does it stop? Right. If you're like, okay, we're not going to service the uh, CIA. Are we going to service the state police? Are we going to service the police, the the municipal police department? You know, are we going to service a private security firm or not? Are we going to service a a company that, you know, is involved in the petrochemical industry and we're concerned about fossil? I mean, where does it stop? It doesn't stop. Each of those have come up. Yeah. Each of the examples you've just given. And it's just, and, it, it's a dangerous, slippery slope to go on where you basically turn the keys of your enterprise over to the squeakiest wheels who may be more pro-socialist, who are probably more anti-capitalist, who may work for you if you're lucky for two or three years, and then go leave. I mean, back to the whole labor thing, a lot of stuff, I'm sure you're dealing with this as well, where you get people who are like, I'm voting for a union, you know, whether it's like a, you know, a, a doctor trainee. I'm in medical school. I'm in postgraduate training. I'm going to vote for a union here at XYZ Hospital. Well, how long are you going to be there? Oh, another year or two, and then I'm gone off to something. So you've just relegated your current colleagues and all of your future colleagues to union representation, even though you're only going to be there for another year or two and move on. Right. (laughs) Right. Right? I mean, you're basically, you're creating, you're, you're controlling things that you should not be controlling. You're influent, more than influencing, you're controlling things. Again, influ- employ- smart companies listen to their employees all the time. It's a mistake not to. It's crazy not to. That's how you know about things like union organizing. That's how you know about employee activism. That's how you know about safety issues and retention. Talk to your employees. Listen to them absolutely. doesn't mean you need to do everything they tell you to do. Well, and I, I guess, you know, companies need to be a little bit wiser in how they respond to it. And I don't know that Google did this or any of the others for that matter. But if you're going to appease that vocal minority and do away with a specific client or an industry that you're representing, be it police or anybody else, 
and that ultimately will cost jobs, maybe you have to share that with them. You know, and okay, so we're going to get rid of this customer, which, by the way, that layoff that ensues will include your job. Yeah, and of course, the same activists that push the companies to do that go, oh, you'll find other customers or we'll help right. customers. Right. Especially like the little kid that basically says, mommy, daddy, can we get a, a puppy? Yeah, sure. Will you agree to walk the dog? Oh, yeah, mommy, daddy, I will. And then, of course, they never do it. So it's basically that same kind of a situation where it's like you get the parental figure in this case to do something they otherwise wouldn't do based on certain commitments that they make, and then the commitments are never followed through on. And they have to, they get stuck cleaning up the poop. Yep, bingo. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> it is. It works. So, well, Nick Calm, I appreciate you coming on to Labor Relations Radio. It's always fun to have you on. I love and, being on. It's a great conversation. It's great to see you. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to watch what's going on with companies these days and how they respond to all these issues. And, uh, it surprises me every day, some of the things that I read about. It is. It's it's an interesting time that we're living in. Indeed. And, and I guess the, the issue is just lasting long enough to see what comes out the other side. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Great. Great to see you, Bye-bye. Peter. Have a great day. Well, that was Reputation Partners founder and CEO, Nick Calm, giving some sage advice to companies. Unless you want to crash and burn your company brand stay in your lane. And if you find that your marketing department has taken your company's brand over the cliff, so to speak, I'm going to leave the links to Nick and his team at Reputation Partners under the audio portion of this episode. Give them a call. They're great at what they do. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. And if you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Give us a call 1-888-668-6466 or leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Oh, Black Queen, take me to that place Wash my sins You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.